finding ways to make it more human is probably going to be your best bet. Even at companies at scale, you can empower your people, your humans to do stuff like that, which I know is possible. I've seen it done at, at huge companies where they've empowered people to do things even more personalized than, I, than you can ever imagine. So it's definitely something that I would recommend. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles. I'm sure you likely get to review lots of reports in your role. I mean, if you're lucky. But while reports and metrics are absolutely valuable in helping us understand performance, help us in our decision-making, I think a focus on metrics has caused one detriment to how we collaborate with others, how we lead others, and especially how we serve our customers. We've become so used to referencing things by categories that we do the same thing when referring to those individuals that we interact with, to those that we serve. And we need to remind ourselves and we need to remind each other that these categories of individuals are actually people. Your customers, they're people. Your account holders, they're people. Your FTEs, they're people. Your leadership, they're people. Your team members, they're people teams that support you, they're people. Teams you support and collaborate with, they're people. Project team members, they're people. Your agencies and your vendors, they're people. Your website users, they're people. Your social followers, they're people. Your email subscribers, they're people. Soylent Green? Y'all, Soylent Green is people. It's people. Okay, just making sure you're still here. Listen, these are all people. Real people with real goals and real challenges and real struggles and real problems. And they all want experiences that recognize them as real people. Real humans. And that's why I really enjoyed talking with Brian Kramer this week. Brian is the co-founder of H-to-H companies. That's human to human. Because as Brian describes it, when it comes down to it, there really is no B2B. There's no B2C. The experience you should be delivering is really H-to-H, human to human. Brian's also a business performance coach and a keynote speaker. He's a TEDx speaker and a contributor to Forbes. And Brian's the author of two best-selling books, Human to Human, and Shareology. Brian and I talk about his lessons on humanizing our business experiences through simpler communication, empathy, and even celebrating our imperfections. And I gotta be honest, you know, when I first heard of Brian wanting to celebrate imperfections, I was a little hesitant at buying into that concept. I mean, I come from a brand management background, and traditionally, we never wanted to show or even indicate imperfections anywhere. 
But once Brian and I discussed it, I've got a much better understanding of how celebrating imperfections can actually be valuable to your brand. So now I'm bought in, and I expect you'll be bought in too. So here it is. Here's the interview with Brian Kramer. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I have enjoyed getting to know and understanding the H2H strategy, the H2H approach. And I've got my idea on H2H. I've got my knowledge on H2H. But for anyone else who may be listening in on our discussion, can you explain H2H here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, funny because it it really talks about a lot or it means a lot about and speaks a lot about the things that I think you and I have a lot in common on, which is around, uh, you know, things that we take and hold dear, uh, having a large part in connection with others. And, And given everything that happened over the last few years, you'll identify with this. We had connection taken away from us largely over the last few years in how we were able to be with others. Over the last six years ago, when the book was originally written, HH Human to Human, the full titles, there's no B2B or B2C, it's HH Human to Human. The idea was that we had connection with others through social media, which at this point, it's table stakes. Brands were able to talk to, to other customers and customers were able to talk brands, which was a first. Now, like I said, it's table stakes. Anybody can do that. At this juncture, it's changed to how do we stand out? as humans, with all the noise, with all the things that are going on in, uh, whether you call it marketing, sales, operations, HR, within companies, and and then outside of companies, what's going on with uh, artificial intelligence and augmented reality and virtual reality and bots and every facet of technology that's happening, cryptocurrency. What we're trying to do is figure out where do humans have a place And where do we stand out? And, um, you know, I must stand for the fact that being human is everybody's competitive advantage. And if we actually are more human, you will stand out. So while human to human has never changed from the day that, you know, people were going door to door selling vacuum cleaners to today sending thank you cards in the mail, which now today actually probably stands out more than ever because you never get a piece of mail from anybody that's handwritten ever. Right. Human to human has never mattered more. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you talk about sending out thank you cards. I can remember what early mid nineties when you would log in to your computer and AOL would say, you've got mail. I mean, like everyone was like, oh wow, cool. I got an email. You know, like everyone was so excited to actually get an email. And now no one's excited to get you know, emails because we get hundreds and hundreds of day. We're more excited to like actually get a real piece of snail mail today. Yeah, exactly right. We've invented things like Slack, Discord, and a chat and messenger and other ways to communicate because email has just become so bombarded with um, spam and inhuman ways that we receive communication that it's really uh, become probably the least human way to communicate. And yet, from a marketing perspective, you really don't own much other than your email list. So I find ways to use email to personalize it and humanize it. And I think it's really important that you do that, you know, ways that you can actually use email and actually get people to reply back. And I do that in my own newsletter 
is really neat. And I spend a lot of time trying to do that. It took me a while, but now that I get people to do that, it can turn into a conversation just like Messenger. You can really take a lot of notes from what social media is doing and actually turn your email into kind of a social platform. Yeah. And that takes it to a new approach and into a new mindset, especially for brands and for marketers. And instead of it being kind of like that old advertising that was simply a uh, one direction communication, a lot of brands and marketers see email as communication in simply one direction. But there is a way to, to humanize it more, to turn it more into an actual conversation. Absolutely. It's online, obviously. It's digital. Right. The idea is to move it offline in every respect. So whether it's email or whatever, yes. And if we can move every conversation from email to, I like to answer and reply in in video, even in email. So I'll take my you know replies. I don't get to do this as much lately, but I like to do it as much as I can, which is taking some personal responses. And then I'll use a software like BombBomb. Right. And I'll just reply back and use their software and I'll do a little 20, 30 second reply and then I'll uh, hit send and they store the video and then they put a little, whether you want to call it GIF or GIF, I don't know who, who wins that <laughs> argument and then loads it into the email and shows, you know, that I've got a little video ready to play and, and then you can click it and it's a, a video made for, for Matt. And then, you know, it doesn't take me very long. In fact, sometimes it's even faster for me to do that than to type it out. And that's way more personalized via email than, you know, anything else I could do. So finding ways to, again, make it more human is probably going to be your your best bet. Even at companies at scale, you can empower your people, your humans to do stuff like that, which I know is possible. I've seen it done at companies like Amazon at huge companies where they've empowered people to do things even more personalized than, I, than you can ever imagine. So it's definitely something that I would recommend. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, I have started using BombBomb with a number of my emails for a few months now. And especially if it's not part of like a regular occurring conversation. I will even try to personalize the GIF or GIF or however you say it. I've heard it both ways, <laughs> but like, I'll even just like hold like a little sign, you know, like if I'm sending something to Brian, I'll like have like a little sign that says, hi, Brian, that shows up in the GIF just so that they know and recognize, oh, this isn't just one video that he's sent to multiple people. This is one directly to me. Yeah, exactly right. It's a good way to hold a sign up and put their name on it or per customize it, personalize it. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. And, you know, personalizing also uh, just even on social media, we used to do campaigns when I had my agency for IBM. And one of the things that I loved was, you know, on Valentine's Day, IBM would put out Valentine's cards on Twitter to people and they'd make images of uh you know, Valentine's cards for influencers, but they would tweet it to people and it would have their name on it. So it would be personalized. It would be really unexpected and delightful and surprised and, and fun, but obviously it was personalized for people. So what is it about personalization? Like, why is it that that type of personalization really resonates with customers, with audiences, with subscribers or whoever else? Well, Think about it on your end as, as the consumer, the customer. 
when you're in the sea of same and you're trying to decide of what it is that you want or what you want to purchase. And you've got a lot of things to pick from because the customer is pretty fickle. They have so many choices. When you think about what you want to buy, whether it's in the B2B realm, which is a pretty long purchase, or even in the B2C realm, as I call the HTH realm, no matter what, you want to make sure that they have um, something that really lets them know that they are unique. And if they've been with your brand for a long time and you haven't done anything to let them know that, that's a shame on you. And if you have got the data, obviously without making it creepy, right? giving them something to let them know that you appreciate, you know, them being a patron is huge. And it can be really simple. And most of the time, it's something that I talk about in my keynotes where somebody like Walt Disney, he mapped it out even before all of, you know, built the entire Disney park, all the Disney components, all of the uh, magazine, the, the music, the movies, the everything was mapped out. But what he did even further is he mapped out, you know, everything in between all the all the human touch points. And he drew it on a napkin of the entire customer journey. And he actually pointed to the ways that the customer, the people, the humans would be interacting with everything. And how could we make them feel special with human touch points? And that's just not something that I see very often, even still today. I mean, it, it, it is done, but it's just not done as much as I, I think it could be or should be. So where people can actually feel like, wow, that wow moment where you see your name almost in lights and you're like that, I can't believe they did that. I'm starting to see it more like, you know, at Marriott's, like when you go into your room and not only is your name on the TV, which is, you know, it's kind of table stakes at this time, but Right. They actually have the pillow that you like already on the bed. Um, you know, the customizations of what you like in travel are starting to really pick up and they're starting to pay attention to the personalization of how you like to travel. Like your, you know, the technologies there where, you know, your your TV actually travels with you, where, you know, your Netflix and your HBO and Showtime and all that stuff is actually one click or one QR code away and your entire TV is now set up on the Marriott TV. Everything's just like very personalized now. So it's totally doable. It's just a matter of how do brands actually reinforce it. Yeah. And that goes back to something you, that you said a moment ago around the fact that everyone is unique. And each one of us, I believe most everybody, sees themselves as unique and important and wants to feel important, wants to feel validated, wants to feel heard, wants to feel known. And then when you get those personalized touch points like that, that makes us feel like we're known. Oh, you know what? They know me. They get me. Yeah. I'd love to know what your thoughts are too on this. I think it takes time. I don't know if that's something that happens right away. Otherwise, it, that kind of thing would be creepy. Right. If it happened right away, the first time, that's the kind of thing where it's like peeling the onion. You know, they, they have to get to know you over time. And it's the kind of thing where it could be the small things. For most humans, I think it is. I think it's really the small touches. And to go back to something nostalgic, it's like the Kodak moment. It's just that little moment where somebody was paying attention and they created a moment that was like an experience or a memory. It doesn't have to be a thing. 
And it happens maybe over time to where they're picking up on uh, certain things that really matter to you. Now, I think it differentiates between what we're talking about here, because if we're talking about in-person experiences like events, conferences, if we're talking about like a long sale or a huge buy, a huge purchase, like a, a million dollar purchase versus like something you're going to go to the store and purchase, like you've been researching it forever. There's definitely a difference in how you're going to be made to feel. But the things that you can do and the way that I've broken it down, you're going to love this, Matt, because one of them is your pillar. You probably have broken it down even farther than I have is how you can help people to really see you as a human company. And when you are at your most human, then that's when people want to connect with you. And that's, you know, the three pillars are empathy, imperfection, and simplicity, which, yes. you know, the simplicity is, you know, something that you're all about. But when you combine all three and you look at companies that have one of each of those applied to their brands, you tend to be attracted to those companies. And then when you apply personalization to it, you now have the killer formula. So you're saying that personalization would be kind of layered on top of those three pillars, those three ingredients. I don't know if I call it personalization. What I would call it is human touch points. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be personalized all the time. A human touch point could be something that's not automated, but it doesn't have to be personalized. What I mean by that is how, you know, if you were to walk over to your whiteboard and you were working for a brand and most companies, if they were to, you know, architect or write out their or just brainstorm out their process for how they have their marketing systems, how often do they have human touch points in all of that? built in like to where it's just uh who picks up the phone and actually calls people that's pretty rare so i always say let's reverse engineer it let's go over to the whiteboard let's write all that out and then let's say okay now where we put the human touch points back into our system so that we can make it even better yeah because i think this is pretty self-evident we're continuing to move toward much more use and acceptance of automation and technology in our communications, in our experiences. So I'm curious, is there a right balance and is there a right way to go about putting in those human touch points and achieving humanity in the communications and experiences we deliver? I don't know if I have the actual answer for that, because I think everyone's so different. I would always err on the side of less technology and more human every day. We try to over-automate. And so I think it's going to always be, you know, it's just, uh, it's just going to be a flaw of ours. So I think it's how less technology and, and more human can we be. Now, that said, I think it's humans and technology working together. It's not versus. Oftentimes, I think we make it a versus. Yeah. And so I think that's the question we need to ask. Um, how do we make it an and, not a versus? Especially with artificial intelligence and machine learning coming into play, it's going to really require us to ask that question of the and. Like, where do we and yes and this? There's writing tools right now, you know, that will write for you instead of forcing you to think and write. Is that going to do the job? Is it going to help us create and do things that we could or should be doing for ourselves? Or is it helping to save us time and 
do other things better. You know, I think it's a yes and, and I don't think it's quite there yet. I think that there's still some creativity missing from that kind of technology. Is it eventually going to be like artificial intelligence putting ads up on all of the uh, ad networks and the AI systems are just duking it out against each other with ads against ads against each other? Like, then what's the point? Now, all of a sudden it's, you know, who's winning? It's just a sea of same. I think it's going to get obnoxious. And and then you know what's going to win is when we're just standing up and being more human. And again, I'm going to say it and it's just going to be sounding so like, Brian, you're just being redundant. Stop, <laughs> please. But send a written card. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Call someone. And then it's like the more human you are, the more you're going to stand out because now it's like just all automated and this is just going to get worse and worse. So it's just going to be that way. Yeah. And I like your approach. That makes me feel a bit more comfortable about the situation going forward. It's not so much a versus mindset. It's not so much an either or approach. It's more of a yes and approach. Like how can we better figure out how to have uh, technology and humanity coexist, co-reside, or complement each other throughout the experiences we deliver. Exactly. Well, I want to jump back and dive deep into your pillars, your ingredients uh, that makes the human experience. So can we go through each of those, all three of those, starting with my favorite, of course, simplicity? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to do this. um, The way that I do this is through brands. I'm excited to hear what you say because you do this for a living as well. So what brand do you feel like stands up for simplicity, embraces simplicity? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give that stock answer of Amazon or Apple, but that's usually everyone's go-to brands when you think of the simple experience. Right. It is a stock answer of an Apple and yet they cornered the market, right? Like an, yeah. an Apple cornered the market on simplicity, which is awesome. The fact that they did that and did it so well should be something that we all strive towards. I mean, it would be a, a coup for everybody to look at it and go, okay, that's, that is the, the winning ticket for us all to, to go. That's what makes it tick. So then when I say what company embraces imperfection? See, that's one that I struggle with. And especially coming from my background that I shared with you earlier, half of my career was spent in brand management and we wanted to hide imperfection. We didn't want to embrace that. So I can't understand the mindset of a brand that would embrace imperfection. Yeah, um, well, they do exist. Uh, You just have to look at imperfection in different ways. Like, for instance, Dove, I think, is a good example of a company that embraces imperfection of of the skin in the way that they approach like their commercials. Right. It's really neat how they looked at that and turned things, you know, on its side. You know, there's a lot of nonprofits out there that embrace imperfection that you could certainly look at. There's different ways that companies um, go into uh, shock because of something that happens they don't enjoy they go into the news because you know something bad happens to the the stock or they get bad press or something but the way that they respond to it is just so beautifully answered in truth 
And it probably due to the executives or the CEO or the way that the leadership is run that you just look at them and they, you go, wow, they just embraced imperfection. That's what you just love about them. So you look at empathy. Who do you think embraces empathy? Wow. I'd say one of my favorite examples, I think, is uh, to me in the customer experience is Chick-fil-A. You think about their target customers, their target audience that goes there. It's mainly families. And I can recall when my kids were, you know, toddlers, it was a hassle having to go to the counter and try and order my food with two toddlers that, you know, trying to make sure that both of them were acting well, well enough for me to get through two minutes of, of ordering food. Well, Chick-fil-A empathized with parents and realized that barrier, realized, you know, that experience and said, well, what if we created mom's valet, you know, where you can simply order your food at the drive-thru or, or before you actually walk into the store and then you walk in and everything is set out for you. You know, it's like they kind of empathize with what it's like to be a parent. Wow. There you go. I love that. That's such a great um, example of thinking about of parents. I love to use um, also Amazon as an example too. You know, it's not typical to to use a large company like that. And I would say they're empathetic because they return every product without fail. Like they don't ask you any questions. They just return it and that's it. They'll even pay for it to be returned. And that's it. If you were to return any product anywhere else or most other places, I should say, the hassle is much bigger. Yeah. They just made that go away. To me, that's the most empathetic thing you can do to make everyone's life easier to say, we're going to embrace your purchasing power and let you know that if you don't like it, you can return it. That's on us. For a big company like that, to be able to do that and do it so seamlessly is awesome. But you know what you just said, like to embrace the the emotion on that level, what you said, I, I love that. You don't see that very often. So again, now, if we were to take all of these things, simplicity, empathy, imperfection, and we were to combine them and then ask what company actually or brand embraces all three, do you have one that comes to mind? When it comes to all three of them together, I feel kind of stuck. I can say that there's brands that may show one out of these three or maybe two out of these three, but for showing all three, I'm having trouble finding one brand that does that. What about you? Yeah, and you're not alone. Okay, good. It's rare. It's very rare. And it's something that I think we can all strive for. It's going to make us the most human. Usually it's two out of three. And that third thing is the thing that we're hoping for. The giants, the ones that are, you know, doing well, I, I would say like an Apple is probably close to all three. Like I said before, you could look at some of the doves out there. I think where you worked at FedEx right. actually might be in one of the three. It's very easy to get your package out. You get it on time. It's very simple. They are very empathetic about, you know, they care about your package. And then uh, the imperfection of most other services isn't there as much as I think FedEx has 
really created um, or embraced when something happens, they will lock in and, and take control over it. And so I, I feel like uh, FedEx is close to it. And yet we got to celebrate that. There's no perfection in life. It doesn't exist. Like if there were, then we wouldn't be human. That would be gone because it just doesn't exist. So um, we have to celebrate the close to in, in all of these categories. That's true. Absolutely right. And with each of these three, simplicity, empathy, imperfection, to your point, I don't think that there's like that one point, that one line, that one bar where you can say, okay, congrats, everybody. We made it because there's always that room for improvement. There's always that room to grow as it relates to simplicity. One of the things that I say is, you know, simple never stops. What's considered simple today is not going to be considered simple to five years from now. So you're always going to be trying to figure out, okay, what can I be doing to make things simpler? What can I be doing to empathize with our people even more? What can I be doing to embrace imperfection even more than previously? Absolutely. It's cyclical. You always have to be working on it. Just like you said, uh, simplicity is one of those things where... um, you know better than anyone. And the same thing with empathy and the same thing with imperfection. The imperfections of life are always going to come at us and we always have to be working on them. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com slash speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com slash speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. And so after hearing you talk about imperfection a little bit more, I think I feel better about it. I think I have a better understanding. And to me, and so tell me if I'm not tracking correctly here, tell me if I'm wrong. But to me, it seems like there's a level of accountability that has to go into embracing imperfection and being able to recognize and say, yes, we messed up or we've made a mistake or here's where we fell short. Here's where we can do better. And here's what we're doing to solve that problem. Absolutely. If we didn't take ownership over what happened, then 
that would the opposite of what we go away from. So I'll bring it up Facebook and what we don't like about Facebook and the reasons for why we see it as them trying to be perfect and not celebrating imperfection and empathy and not celebrating the empathetic side of life and simplicity and not celebrating the simplistic side of what they could be doing. It's almost as if they started out with all three. They grew on all three and we all love them for all three. And then what happened is I think all three got detached. And at least in my view, this isn't founded on research. I can't really point to anything, but- um, Perception. Yeah, totally. And perception is reality. Right. So, you know, now we're detached from simplicity, empathy, and imperfection as being what makes them And that's what's creating disease between that brand and others. And if they were to hone in on those three, again, they'd probably create more ease. Yeah, I think so. And to me, that kind of ties to something else that I've heard you talk about before. I've heard you talk about brands taking an underdog approach and how people are more attached to the underdog And I don't think that that necessarily means, you know, always simply being like simply striving to be in second place, but simply recognizing that you've got that room for improvement, that you have that room to grow. Does that track with your thoughts on how you've shared about the underdog approach before? A little bit. You've obviously you've following some of the stuff that I talk about. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. The underdog is a little bit different. It's really more around storytelling and it's also around spirit. I think that the underdog approach is who we end up wanting to always win as humans. This is psychologically just something that fascinates me, that we just tend to root for the underdog. And once the underdog becomes number one, you know, at some point, if they start to lose that underdog mentality, and they become dominant and they forget who they were and they forget what got them there. They forget who got them there. And all of a sudden they lose that part of their brand. And that does go into simplicity, empathy, and imperfection. Then absolutely, that's where it does tie in. That would be a perfect case where Facebook lost their uh, connection to the underdog mentality. The idea behind the underdog, I would point to Apple as still having an underdog mentality. Because they don't go out and just buy every company. They could. They could buy every company. (laughs) Right. They could buy any company they want 10 times over. They could go down the path of going and taking on Facebook in in a way that would crush them two times over. If they wanted to, they could come out with our virtual reality tomorrow. But they're patient. And they wait. They have this underdog mentality that's like always been there. And they're like, they're storytellers. And the story is more important to them than coming out and wiping everybody off the face of the planet. Like I see a little bit more of Amazon, where Amazon is like, let's buy every company. So I don't see Amazon as an underdog. And I don't see like a uh, Tesla could Peter on underdog. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. But, you know, when you look at simplicity, empathy and imperfection, they kind of like walk the line on all three of those. And so I would say that they have some work to do. Yeah. And when I heard you talking about that, 
I got to thinking about these companies like Facebook, Amazon appears to be heading into that direction. These companies that give this appearance of being too big to fail or simply thinking there's no way that anyone can disrupt us because of who we are. And then with that, they tend to become very complacent. That's when you can have someone with that true underdog mindset, that underdog approach that is able to come along and disrupt them. Oh, my God. Yes. And it could happen. You know, you've seen what could happen to the stock market any day to any of those brands if they make the wrong move. I don't think that they're uh, bulletproof. I'm a really big fan of things like Ben and Jerry's who move into communities. They actually market to local communities. And here they are. They're a big brand, considered to be a huge brand, bought and purchased, not owned by Ben and Jerry anymore. And yet they go into local brands. And for instance, they ran a a campaign on Instagram and had people take pictures of ice cream making in their favorite ice cream flavors or whatever. And then they took the winners and then they posted those winner photos up on the billboards within those same towns. And featured their own people in their own town featured by Ben and Jerry's. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is brilliant of Ben and Jerry's to now um, understand and have a simplistic approach, empathy, and celebrate the imperfection of just this little town and what they're going through and being on and taking a moment and having a kind, caring moment. And then at the same time, That's an underdog mentality. That's a mentality of something that you would never see an Apple, a Tesla, an Amazon taking a moment to go into a small town and celebrating people. Right. Yeah. It's thinking that you're so big that you don't even have to do that. But of course, Ben and Jerry's is a big brand. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier around the uniqueness in the human spirit. And if I think about that, me as an individual, if Ben and Jerry's put me on a billboard in my own small town, like I would be elated. And then anybody in my town that knew me would say, oh, wow, there's Matt. But then anyone in my town that didn't even know me would still be able to connect because they would know, oh, that's not just some talent model from Hollywood or LA that they put in this, you know, photo shoot for this billboard. That's my neighbor who I may not know yet, but that's my neighbor. So being able to still feel connected, even though you don't know that person, that's a human experience right there. Oh, totally. Can you imagine towns across the United States? Just they are in full alignment with their brand because still the ice cream is made from local towns. So they still are getting all the cream and all the ingredients from localized products as well. So they stayed true to their brand and they're highlighting local towns. So it's just so wonderful to see how a brand can maintain that level of underdog mentality. Yeah. And because of that, like you're saying, it's part of that human experience to want to root for, to want to side with the underdog. Exactly. No matter how big that actual underdog may be. Totally. Yeah. They could go to number one and still be an underdog with that mentality that it's not a position. Right. It's an attitude. It's a level of connection with others and storytelling. 
That's it. Yeah. It's an attitude. It's a level of connection. It's a mindset. Right. All right. So we've talked about H2H from the customer experience approach. I'm curious how you see the same strategy applying to the employee experience, especially when we're, you know, here we are 2022, whether you call it the great resignation, the great reshuffle, or whatever term they're calling it today, people are leaving their employers at uh, rapid rates. So I'm curious how H2H can apply to the employee experience. It's a shame that it's shaken up the industry now to the point where everyone's leaving. And I don't know if there's a, a point where where I can say, hey, uh, you need to take care of your people better. That's really, the, at the end of the day, be a better human is really the message. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. You know, we had an agency and 30 people at our height. We tried to put in processes and structure and procedures. I had a time where I was also traveling on the road, speaking 200 days a year, and I was running the agency with my wife. And at one point, we were killing it. We were working with great brands, you know, Netflix and Cisco and MasterCard and IBM. It was wonderful. And were we taking care of our employees to the best that we could? I would say yes. We were small compared to the big agencies. Then you'll start looking at things like healthcare, and then you start looking at how were we treating them, and then how was I treating them, and how was I, what was that like, and was I the best person? You start asking yourself all these questions, and I also was, at the time, I was gone a lot, and now I'm looking back and I'm going, oh my gosh, could I have been a better leader? Absolutely. I hope that companies are looking at things now that this awakening is cracking things open, now looking at saying, how do we build better leaders? And what does leadership mean? What is a way that we can build perhaps coaching mindset into our company? Because right now we're not communicating well. We're talking down to people. We're not talking like into and creating deeper relationships with people. We're spending time trying to build a product, not build people. These are the kinds of questions that I think people can ask. And as we start to now create what's next, this is the time to do it. It's right in front of you. You can see it. So the awakening's here and it's going to crack wide open so that everyone gets a chance to do a redo. And I hope they take it. And the ones that do will succeed. And the ones that don't, people won't want to work for them. And that'll become clear because everyone has a choice now. There's more jobs than there ever was. And now it's like buying a house. It's in the favor of the employer right now. It's in the favor of the buyer. So that's a really good place for them to be. I hope it gets better. I think it will get better, you know, because to your point, a number of employers are recognizing the need. There are going to be some that simply don't recognize it and simply stick with the status quo, the way we've always done things approach. But looking at your three ingredients, I think that really helps in the employee experience. You know, so just going through those simplicity, how can we make it easier for you to get your job done? Whether that's the flexibility of remote work or whether it's the flexibility of fewer meetings or fewer boundaries and hoops and hurdles to have to go through. How can we empathize with you as an employee? If I'm in the C-suite, it's been years since I've been at this individual contributor level. What does it actually look like? What is it like for these people to go through their job each day? And what do they have to go through in order to get their job done? 
and then try to understand like how that can be improved based on that. And then imperfection, going back to that mindset of accountability. Okay, we get it. Things are not at the level that they should be. And we recognize that. And here's what we're doing to improve. And having more of those two-way communications, like we talked about earlier too, two-way communications where it's more conversations and not just simply talking down to people. Exactly. And I'm trained now as a coach in leadership through a CTI where my wife was the um, head of global marketing. And the one thing that I learned there was asking powerful questions. Mm. And if anybody who's listening takes anything away from all of this, I hope you take this one thing away. How you create deeper connection, how you create deeper meaning and deeper relationships with others and human to human relationships is through deeper listening. And to do that, there's three levels of listening. The one level, first level, is when you're listening to the other person, but you're not. Uh, Unfortunately, um, my dad was really good at that. (laughs) He could regurgitate what you were saying, but he was kind of sort of like thinking about other things. To his credit, he had a lot going on in his life. He was, you know, he was trying to raise us and work and all kinds of things. But that's to give an example. That's what a lot of people do. And we do that all the time in work. The level two is when you're listening to the other person, but you're thinking about what you're going to say next. Like, what's my question next? And then level three is when you're totally locked in on what the other person's saying, and you have no clue what you're going to say. You just know that the universe is going to give you what you need when it's time, but you are full on present with the other person. And that level three, when you use that level three with others and create deeper connection and then use powerful questions with the other person, like you've been doing, Matt, you are extraordinary. I mean, wow. (laughs) Well, thank you. And so, you know, when you create those powerful questions with others and use level three and create a deeper connection with people that, oh my God, can you imagine the world we'd be living in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, just being able to understand how making that connection that's that's deep enough to where you'd be able to kind of elevate things for everybody and not just for one party in a conversation or in a relationship. So that's what I hope for this new next phase. Yeah. As human to human becomes more and more hopefully relevant in a technological age that we create deeper connection and we stand out more because being human is everyone's advantage to asking more powerful questions and and staying in that level three. There you go. And like you said earlier, being human is going to give you a competitive advantage. Thank you. Cool. All right, Brian, uh, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack around H2H, around Human to Human, what songs would you include? Yeah, so thank God you prepped me a little bit with this, or <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be able to come up with it on like straight away. So Today is the Day is one song. I have a motivational music H2H track that I play for my um, accelerator uh, every Thursday. So this is like... Oh, nice. Through like... Here's the first song I play. Today is the day. And then Before It's Over uh, by Fearless Soul. And then uh, the next one is Eye of the Tiger. (laughs) Nice. Right? Yeah. Eye of the Tiger will pump anybody up. I know, right? An oldie but goodie. And then Second Wind by Kelly Clarkson. Let's see. That's four. 
And then the fifth one is Roar by Katy Perry. Another good get inspired, get motivated song. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. Love those songs. Well, Brian, I've learned a lot from you today, uh, but where can people go to learn more from you? Yeah, go ahead and go to briankramer.com. Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. You can sign up for my newsletter there if you like. And by signing up for the newsletter, you will get a reply from me, human to human. I actually will reply. And you'll also get $5 for subscribing in my human coin, which is a uh-huh. cryptocurrency. Um, and it's actual real dollars. Everybody who subscribes will get a chance to get that. And you can either cash out or keep it. And the more coin you get, the more access you get to discounts and content. And I have a community on Discord, so you can come on in and chat. And we have a good time in there. So all kinds of good stuff. Very cool. Yeah. So lots of ways to be able to connect and then make that connection even deeper. Yeah. Lots of human to human ways to connect. Absolutely. (laughs) There you go. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being here today. I've really appreciated this. Thank you. I really appreciate it as well. Some awesome questions and great conversation. Thanks, Matt. I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Brian Kramer. So go and visit him at briankramer.com and you can start to learn even more from him on how to humanize your customer experience. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Stacy Sherman. Stacy's an award-winning certified customer experience keynote speaker. She's an author, a podcaster, a Forbes contributor, and she's the founder of Doing CX Right. It's a heart and science framework that accelerates customer loyalty, referrals, and revenue through engaged employees. Stacy and I talk about her lessons on customer experience and how to have all of your teams bought into it, all so you can ensure that you're doing CX right. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Stacy's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.